Daniel dilemma this morning, and so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about really Daniel, and it comes out of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, but it's really a story that kind of revolves around him and a couple of his friends. And it's a very interesting book because I believe that it can give us a lot of wisdom, even for the way we live today. And so, kind of the tagline, as you can see up there on the screen, it's the Daniel dilemma, which is how to stand firm and love well. You know, many times in the church, we do one or the other. We don't really know how to the balance of it because, and we'll talk about this here in a few moments, but I believe that how Daniel lived in the day in which he lived in the setting, which was Babylon, which we've talked about uh, in the previous weeks, uh, you know, that he was in a very pagan, let me say it this way, a very godless society. He didn't care anything about God or the God of Israel. Uh, and so, you know, but as I said, usually people go to one of two extremes and I'm going to tell you what the extremes are and you can... Nod your head if you identify with these. But the first extreme is this, is that we can be really strong. We would call it legalistic. In other words, I'm right, you're wrong, you're going to hell, I'm not, I'm good. Right? That's legalism, that's Phariseeism from the New Testament. And so what happens though is that many times is that we approach from a very harsh, overly strong. Now I use that word overly on very, very intentionally. Because we are to be strong in our beliefs. We're not to back down, but we can be overly strong. You know, I mean, I have children, and I can discipline my kids, but I can cross a line, too. I know I'm not the only one. But you can overly discipline, overly correct as well. And so, but and many times, that's what the church has become. I shared with you uh, two weeks ago this thought, is that many times people know what we're against a lot more than they know what we're for. Well, that tells you that we have swung too far one way. Well, y'all are just not about this and not about this and not about this. Okay, well, what are we about? Because a lot of times, uh, I don't know. Exactly, because you think we're just against a bunch of stuff. No, I'm for Jesus. I'm for God. I'm for seeing people set free. I'm for people being healed. I'm for people being restored. I'm for all of the things that Jesus can. I am for Now, is there a standard? Absolutely. And the other side of the pendulum that it would swing to would be this. That in order to have any kind of influence, to have any kind of like really reaching people and touching people, that we have to compromise the Word of God, the standard of God, so that what? So that it's more easily to to digest. And this is happening in the church. And really, we see the two extremes But the churches that I see that are thriving and growing are the ones who have found the balance between the two. One of the reasons we're teaching the series. Why? Because I want us to be a growing, thriving church. I don't want to be legalistic, but I also don't want to help anybody. Not be able to help anybody. I shared with you a couple weeks ago the thought of this statement, which is that truth without grace is just mean. Right? Has anybody ever been mean to you from a spiritual standpoint? Quit doing that. Why are you doing that again? And they're just mean about it. Well, that doesn't really motivate you. Matter of fact, it's like, you're a jerk. Get away from me. Like, I kind of like Jesus. I really don't like you, though. (laughs) I'm kind of on the fence. But Jesus, I'm not sure on you. There's no question about. But grace without truth is meaningless. There's no point. So you got to have a balance of both. And so we've been looking over this over the last couple of weeks. So, let me give you another example of this, just to make sure we're all on the same page. I know it's been a couple weeks. 
If I was a doctor and you came to me and says, I have a tumor, I could handle it really one of three ways. I could say, give me just a moment. I will be right back. I come back with my scalpel. I come back in with my tools. I got my gloves on, my robe on. Hey, just lay back. I'm going to take it out right now. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need some anesthesia, please, maybe. Like, can you knock me out, maybe, before we do this procedure? But yet, that's how we treat people in the world many times. We want to call out their sin and yet not give them the anesthesia of grace. But grace would be this. For you to come and say, man, I've got this big tumor and and I believe it's cancerous. And and here's what just grace by itself would be. You're going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Well, guess what? That tumor is going to grow and that cancer is going to grow and that person is going to die. That's what happens when we give people only grace. Grace with truth is good medicine. That's the best option. Okay, let's come in and diagnose you. Okay, I see a tumor, it's cancerous. We're going to give you some anesthesia. We're going to knock you out. You're not going to know what happened. But when you wake up, we'll have removed cancer from your body. That's the way God works. He's a good physician. That's why the Bible talks about him. He's not a mean physician. He's not a useless. You ever been to a doctor and just been like, I don't even know why I came. (laughs) Not knocking doctors, but, you know, you can throw a mechanic in there. Oh, nothing wrong with your car. Well, it sure seemed like it an hour ago, you know, I mean... (laughs) Not picking on you, Chris. But. No, see, we, I believe that we can stand firm. In other words, hold to God's standard and love well. Well, love well. And we can have influence at the same time. I believe that God wants to use us to influence people around us. But it doesn't mean we have to compromise to do it. And we can love people while we hold to our standard. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about. So in week one, we talked about it was really that God is all about grace and truth. John chapter one, we looked at this. And so Jesus brought the standard, but God also gives us his favor so that we can now live that out. And so in week two, we talked about the Babylonian mentality. And so really, what is that? It's a spirit at work that's been at work since the very beginning. You can go all the way back to um, Genesis two. It's really where we are the center of our universe. It's the very sin of Satan and the very, it's the original sin. It's the sin of self. And so we talked about this. And and the enemy would love for us to be really focused more on us than we should be. And so we've been talking about this. And really what happens is that our culture is constantly pushing us. Pushing us. Pushing. Pushing. And it's pressing constantly. I mean, because let me give you an example of this. Romans 12 says, let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God wants to transform you. The world wants to conform you. There's a big difference. In other words, the world wants to squeeze you into a mold. They want you to fit inside of their parameter. And as long as your Christianity fits inside of what they're comfortable with, they're okay with it. But what happens when your Christianity gets outside of their little comfortable box? It doesn't mean that we have the right to be a jerk. It means we need to love well. Hold to our standards, but still love well. And so, you know, I believe that... um, you know, so we've been discussing this over these last couple of weeks. And so, you know, and I don't mean this by any stretch of the imagination. I'm actually going to show you a video here in just a moment, just a clip that I saw several weeks ago. And it's, we're actually going to, we're, we're going to be adopting a project. Uh, and I'll tell you more about it later. But I just haven't been able to shake it. And as I was preparing this message and going through some things, it just couldn't get away from it. And, uh, you know, but in America, we really don't experience a lot of great persecution. We do. 
but not in light of what other people face. It's different. It's very different. Now, I pray, and my hope is, is that we never do. I hope that we have freedoms, but I'm preaching this for a reason. Because I believe that persecution will come. And it may not be the threat of losing your head. It may not be like it is in other places. But we face persecution just in a different way. And the enemy, in a lot of ways, is just more subtle, but the effects are still the same. He may not take your life, but he will take your life from you. The life that God wants from you, he will steal it from you. So in the scripture, he gets what he wants. And so, you know, like, let me just let me give you a, a couple of scriptures here that are along this line and really a warning to us. It comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, 16. It won't be on the screen because I forgot to add it. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. I believe this really uh, summarizes this series in, in a nutshell. But the first words, it says, be on guard. Pay attention. Don't sleepwalk. Open up your eyes. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And by the way, do everything with love. I mean, that's a mouthful there. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Don't be weak. But it also says, do everything in love. Which tells me, I can be courageous and be loving. It means I can be strong and be loving. It means that I can stand firm and still be loving. It is possible to live in the place between grace and truth. Jesus did it perfectly. Well, the Bible says that we were, we're here as Christ's followers to be his express image in the earth. So if he did it, he expects us to do it. That's good or bad news, depending on how you take it. But this is possible to do this. You know, I'll give you just a small example of this. Just think about praying in public. You know, when I first moved here a few years ago, I remember for about a six-month period that I worked at Home Depot. And I, and I stood in the front and I did some things. And I remember I saw two older gentlemen stop right in the middle of Home Depot and they were praying and it caught me as odd. Why is that odd? Because culture says that's not acceptable. Praying over your meal. I mean, what's our patent answer? You hear a situation, circumstance, somebody, oh, I'll pray for you. How about right now? Uh, (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) You know, that's... But sometimes it's needed in that moment. I mean, what happened at the end of worship, that was a, a right now moment. Like God needs to speak this to somebody right now. Sometimes somebody doesn't need your prayer tomorrow night. They need it right now. And if it mattered to you, like it mattered to them, you would wait. You know, but even just at a restaurant, let's pray over the food. And it's kind of like, who's looking? And then you get that awkward dude who's like, let's all hold hands. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. No, thank you. But you know, there are stories throughout history that we see where people have faced great persecution. We're going to look at another one today from the scriptures. You know, but I'll give you one example of this that's happened in our lifetime that we all know about MLK, Martin Luther King. You know, he was a pastor, right? Y'all do know that. He was a believer. A Christ follower. And out of his passion for Christ arose what we call the civil rights movement. He was a huge influence in that. Well, guess what? He paid with his life. He was murdered. Let's just not sanitize it. (laughs) He was murdered because somebody didn't like what his stand was for. 
But you know how differently our culture is today because of his stand? What if he would have just said, it's easier for me to keep my mouth shut? How differently would would the the life that we've grown to know, how differently it would be? Why? Because one man, which in my opinion, walked this out, grace and truth. He wasn't ugly, he didn't. I mean, he never, and ultimately he was martyred for it. That's what it means when you get killed for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom of God. Now I have a little video clip that I want to show you. Just to, And look, let me just preface this. It's just about a minute and a half, two minutes long. It's a short video clip, but it's actually about Christians in the country of Iran. Now, I'm not showing you this video to make you feel bad. That's not what I'm, but I, Partly, I want you to understand what other people are facing. But you know, the gospel is actually growing at about a 5% rate every year in Iran right now. It's pretty impressive. The podcast from our little church in El Dorado, Arkansas, has been downloaded in North Korea, which is a closed country and does not have internet access. How does that work? I can't tell you. But that's why we put it out there. Because we never know where it's going to go. And so I want to show you this little clip just for a moment. And, and I'll just, you know, but again, I just wanted to preface it. I'm not showing you this to make you feel bad, but I do want it as a reality check. Because we're not aware many times of the persecution that other people are. And even aware of the persecution that we face. So let's go ahead and show that clip. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Fifteen of us were meeting together. We had one Bible. We tore it apart and traded it between us. We divided it into fifteen pieces to read it, because it was the only Bible we had. Thank you for sending us the Bibles. I was making money in ways that made me feel ashamed. I felt lost and alone, and I hated myself. I was given a Bible and told about the man Jesus. God has changed me completely. Thank you for the Bible. It has healed me. Reading the Bible saved me from drugs and addiction. God really set me free from those things. I want to share Christ with other people. My friends and I are helping give other people the Bibles that we are sent. It was the first time I had held a Bible in my hands. We called the pastor who had sent us the Bibles. We were crying for joy. Hallelujah! I said again and again, Hallelujah! Thank you for your gift to us. The hunger for the Gospel is immense. People crave Bibles. I can be arrested and killed for having two Bibles in my home. I have two thousands. For me, it is worth the risk. Please ship us more Bibles. They may cost my life, but it is worth it. It's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? I have an office with bookshelves. This morning I counted on one shelf I had ten Bibles. He could be killed for having two. So we're going to start sending some Bibles to Iran. From what I can tell, they're about six bucks a piece. I don't know how many we're going to do yet, but we're going to send some Bibles. Because I saw this video clip actually through social media, and it has just not left me alone. And I have just, you know, so I actually had to go do a little research into it a little bit. And, uh, but we're going to do some stuff, but that's, 
neither here nor there. But, but what I want to tell, show you, though, is, I mean, they took one Bible and ripped it into 15 parts. I mean, this guy has, if he has more than one Bible, he cost him his life. And I, uh, the statement that so, has so stuck with me is he says, it's worth the risk. Amen. And so many times we want to play it safe in our life because we just want to keep it comfortable. And yet he has this mentality that says, it's worth the risk, which is my life. I don't know if you caught it. He said, I have 2,000 Bibles in my home. It's a little bit more than one. But he says it's worth it. Why? Because the gospel sets people free. The word of God is truth. It's good medicine to people who need it. And so we can't compromise what we believe at the sake of our convenience and at the sake of our comfort. That would be the convenient thing to do, but it's not the most God-honoring thing that we can do. The most God-honoring thing we can do is to take holy, righteous risk. And a Bible costs six bucks, by the way. I don't know if I've told you that. That's on average what they cost, six bucks. So this organization who's doing this, their goal is to send 100,000 Bibles into Iran. But that's their goal. I think they're right at 60,000 right now from what I saw. And I don't know how accurate that is or how recent that was. But that's the numbers that they had published that I saw. So we're going to partner with them in doing that. And so if you have your Bibles, though, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at a few things here. I'm going to primarily be reading out of the uh, NIV today, which I typically don't do. But there's some wording and things that it says that um, but you'll see it all up there on the screen for you but in Daniel chapter 3 we've been looking at the story of Daniel and this morning we're actually going to look at three of his friends and really their story a little bit but this is a very probably one of the most famous passages of scripture from the book of Daniel there's two stories that every most part most people know from the book of Daniel Daniel in the lion's den Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace this is the fiery furnace and so uh, here in, so we're going to read a few scriptures and then I'm going to share and we're just going to kind of walk through several verses here. But it says in verse 1 of Daniel 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, made an image. Now I want you to pay attention to that word image because it's repeated many times. Culture many times presents us with an image that it wants us to buy into. Right? And really not just buy into, but it's an image that it wants us to worship. But we'll get to that. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It says, set it up in the plain in the province of uh, Babylon. It says, then he summons the um, satraps and the uh, perfects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, the who's who of government officials and other provincial or provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. It says, so all these guys show up for the dedication of the, um, of the image. And it says, and they stood before it. Verse 4, it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and people of every language, This is what you are commanded to do. It's not a choice. Culture wants to remove your choice. They're trying to silence your voice. They're commanding you to be quiet. I think it's somewhat funny in our culture that it's okay to protest everything except for protecting the Bible. That's not acceptable, but you can protest anything and everything you want, but just don't bring God into it. We're commanding you to be quiet. This is what you're commanded to do. Verse 5 says, as soon as you hear the sound, many times culture uses sound. You've got to be careful what you're seeing, what you're listening to. Those are influences. We're constantly being bombarded. You're being sold to all the time. 
I'm not against convenience, but they're trying to move us to what? We don't even have to leave home. I have a friend of mine who just posted, and it had these little, um, I don't know, like a tide thing. And it's a button that you can hit a button. You don't have to get on the internet. You can hit a button, and Amazon will bring you tied to your house. Convenience. Well, there's a lot of creature conveniences, which, look, I partake in some. But we have to be careful as to what conveniences we're allowing. I mean, you know, used to, you had to actually watch a TV to see a show. Now you can just pull it up on your phone. So what you think, well, I'm not watching as much TV. Yeah, but add in your cell phone. All those things that you download, all those things that you're consuming constantly, we go into autopilot, we put our earbuds in and, and music is going and, and TV shows and we're not even thinking about the influences that are coming in through sight and through sound. Yeah. And he says, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all these kinds of music, you must fall and worship the image. Worship. The enemy, the devil, is after worship. He is trying to set us up, just as Nebuchadnezzar is. He says, you must worship this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a, uh, a fiery furnace. That's the commandment. That's the instruction that comes. Don't discount those influences that we're allowing. Verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 8. Well, no, we're going to drop down to verse 12. Verse 12, for the sake of time. It says uh, in verse 12, but there are some Jews here, so basically his rat pack of people have now come to Nebuchadnezzar and they're, they're, they're telling off on him. It says, there are some of these Jews whom you have set over the affairs. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you put some of these guys in some high-ranking positions Remember earlier in Daniel, we talked about this, is that they had found favor with the king, and so he put them in very influential positions in a godless society. And so now, their culture is trying to get them out. And so they've set them up. I mean, they did that. You can see it where they did it, especially with Daniel and the lion's den. They said, don't pray. Well, he prayed. He stood up, and guess what? He got thrown in the lion's den. But the good news is, and the short of the story is, God showed up for him too. Let me say it this way. If, if we want God to show up for us, I think we've got to show up for him. That's not in my notes, that's extra. And many times I think that we don't. And that's why many times people say, well, why don't we see miracles in America? They see it in Africa. Because we don't stand like they stand. We just don't. I mean, that's a pretty... And I would stand behind that statement very much because I've actually been there. I've been in many dangerous parts of the world. And the persecution that they face, that they are under day in and day out, they stand up and God stands up for them. Now, I'm not saying that we don't stand. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I think we need to do a lot more of it. We don't need to be the silent majority. You have a voice. Use it. Use it well. Love well. Love people. But hold to God's stand. No attention to you. So some of these Jews that... And so he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So this tells you the agenda right there. 
I don't want you to serve your God. I want you to serve my God. And I want you to worship what I want you to worship. See, the question is, is not if you'll bow down. The question is to what? That's really the question. To what will you bow down? And it's important to bow to the right things. For the right reasons, the right purposes. Why? Because what you bow to is what you worship. And what you worship is very important. Why? Because what you worship is where you trust. You can, you can worship your bank account. Problem is that's where your trust is. What happens when the stock market... All your trust was in that money. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't put all your treasure here on earth. You better be laying some up in heaven. Why? Because when the earth falls short, God can send ravens to feed you if he needs to. So, let's keep that in mind. So, in verse 13, we see Nebuchadnezzar's response to this moment. And this is how the world many times responds to us. It says that he was furious with rage. And so he calls for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true that you will not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Is it true? Is what I'm being told? And then he kind of goes through them. You know, kind of says, hey, when you hear the sound, when you see the image, it's what you need to do. I'm kind of skipping through this. And he says, at the last part of verse 15, he says, But if you do not worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. And here's a most powerful statement, and our culture says this to us in a very discreet way, but it's still saying it to us. Then what God would be able to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar has now placed himself like a god, which was... Somewhat under, I mean, Pharaohs thought they were gods. That's why they worshiped them. And so he was kind of in that same line, that same school of thought. And he says, what God will save you from me? Now, culture in our society, I mean, here's the thing. Culture is not bad. Culture is lost. Culture needs Jesus. Don't blame lost people for being lost or sinful people for being sinners. It's what they are. It's what we were. But for the grace of God, so am I. So we need to remember that. But he says, you know, and so it's a fear tactic. It's a moment where Nebuchadnezzar is trying to wield his power to intimidate these young men. Now, I read this verse to you earlier, but 1 John 4, verse 4. From the New Living Translation. Oops, I have to switch. I'll just read it on the screen. There you go. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who is in the world. Now, the enemy wants to convince you that God's nothing and he's not for you and he's not going to show up. That's what the enemy wants to convince you of. But see, we are called to stand firm. That takes courage. Courage takes heart. See, courage is not a lack of fear, but it is refusing to bow to fear. There's a famous Mark Twain quote that I love. Is that um, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of fear. I love that. Why? Because I still have fear. But you know what? I have to allow my, uh, my faith to activate in me to act beyond my fear. This is what I can tell you. Every time I've ever stepped out in faith to conquer fear, I've never regretted it. Amen. Never. Even if it didn't pan out the way I thought, I, I still thought I'm better for having taken that step because it wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. So devil, you lied to me. You lied to me. Pants on fire. You're a liar. 
It wasn't anything like what you said. Well, that gives me confidence the next time he comes. Tries to lie. Nope, you're a liar. How do I know the devil's lying? Because he's talking. He's a liar. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego reply to him and say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Now this guy, remember, these guys are slaves in a pagan culture. They don't own anything, much less their own life. Nebuchadnezzar, with the motion of his finger, could have them killed. So, and yet they say, we don't need to defend ourselves. It says, before you in this matter, in verse 17, it says, if we are thrown into the blazing fire. So they still recognize, hey, it's up to you. You can throw us in there. You don't have to, but we realize it's your choice. It's not my choice. In other words, the consequences of my actions, you're going to decide. If we are thrown into the fire, it says, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it. Your majesty, the king. He can and he will. Now, verse 18 is what I want you to... I I love this. Because many times, and we'll pray that prayer. God, deliver me. Deliver. God God will. God can. He can deliver me from this. But verse 18 says, But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you can take my life, but you will not kill me. Because I realize there's more beyond this life for me. But just so you know, I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to stand firm. Now, they weren't being disrespectful. I mean, they even referred to him as your majesty, sir. They're they're addressing him properly. But they're saying, look, it's your decision. You can do with us whatever whatever you want. It's totally up to you. But let's just just be clear about this, king. I'm not going to bow. So don't give me five more warnings. I don't need them. Because I'm not changing my mind. I'm not going to let fear dominate me and cause me to shrink back. No, I'm going to stand up in the face of it. And I'm going to to declare that my God is God. And that He can save me. He will save me. And even if He doesn't, I'm in a win-win situation. Paul says it this way, for a Christian to die is gain. I know this is kind of heavy conversation for us in America, but I'm not talking about your physical life. I am talking about your spiritual life. I am talking about your quality of spiritual life, the quality and the quantity of what you get to experience of God's goodness in your life. You gotta, at some point, you've got to put a line in the sand and say, here's my mark. I'm not moving from this. You just got to make a determination. This is it. I'm not compromising. I'm not backing up from this. This is what I believe. This is who I believe in. He's either God or he's not, but this is what I believe. It's not up for debate. I've made up my mind. You know, there's a, a personality test. It's called the strengths test. My number one is belief. Which very simply, this is what that means. When I make a decision, you will not change my mind. I'm very focused. And I can take you to the moment that I decided to live for God. Because I made a decision. I'm all in. Yes. And for me, that happens to be part of my personality. It's my number one out of 34. I say it this way. I can't sell you anything I don't believe. Right. That's why I preach Jesus. Why? Because I believe it with my whole heart. 
above all else. He is who the Bible says he is. And yet culture constantly is wanting to press us and push us to what? To back off of that. I mean, we see in the book of Acts. Look, y'all can pray for people. Just quit using that name Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the difference maker. And, And culture constantly is wanting to push us. So for us as believers... I mean, and you can see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a win-win for them. No, no matter what happens, we win. We win. I mentioned this earlier, but we need to focus our faith not on what we're standing against, but what we're standing for. And what we are standing for is God and His Word. God's standard. If He's the author, the Bible says He's the finisher of our faith, He knows how this thing works best. It's not my standard. It's God's Word. I'll just give you a little, exa- little natural thing that you can do when you get into conversation. And I always say, I don't confront without relationship. Yeah. Unless somebody is just belligerent. Don't get in debates. They're pointless. Right. But if someone is genuinely... But they'll say, well, how could you say? Well, hold on. I didn't say. First of all, it's not my word. It's God's word. Now, if you believe in God or not, that's up to you. But I'm not. I didn't write the Bible. God did so don't take it like it's me. I'm just simply telling you what God's word says. Now, I can do that in a very respectful, loving way. But I don't have to back off and be like, well, you know, I'm just not quite sure. I have to ask my pastor about that. <laughs> don't back off. Amen. Say, no, it's black and white, man. The Bible's right there. I would encourage you to read it for yourself. That's a great way to kill a lot of people's opposition. Have you read the Bible? Like, really read the Bible? Like, more than five verses? Go read the Bible and let's talk. And if you're unsure, go get them some verses and write them down. Here you go. Just read these verses. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm not trying to be right. I want to see God work in your life. That's what I'm concerned about. So the approach matters. So in verse uh, 19, we'll pick up there. Well, let me say this. I'll use this. It's an old quote, and all of you have heard it, I'm sure. But if you don't stand for something, anybody can finish it? You will fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Verse 19 says, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. So he's in a full-blown, if you actually study that, it says he was like indignant, like beside himself angry, just red-faced. I mean, just crazy. He's beside himself with these guys. And it says that his attitude changed towards them. So to this moment, he was actually still favorable to them. What he was really doing was extending them an olive branch, saying, guys, look, nobody else has to know. Just, y'all just bow down. Nobody else has to, I know, you know, I like you guys. Y'all do a great job in my kingdom. Just bow down so I can get these guys to be quiet. But he changes why? Because they, made, they took a stand. Culture doesn't... It's funny. I mentioned this a minute ago. Culture doesn't mind people standing as long as they agree with you. As long as you're for their, what they want. They're good. But it's when you want to stand up for something that actually challenges or opposes them. They're like, who do you think you are? Well, a child of the Most High God. Praise the Lord. So it goes on here. So his attitude changes toward them. It says, He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. 
So these men wearing their robes, trousers, all their clothes were all thrown into the fire. Verse 22 says, The king's command was so urgent and the fire or the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took them and threw them in the fire. Pretty hot fire. It says, And these three men, being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were firmly tied and fell into a burning fire. Furnace. Verse 24 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped up to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. Verse 25 says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Now this is actually Christ in the Old Testament. There's a few times he shows up. We're not sure why. We're not. He just shows up from time to time. He's from the beginning, He's been, but... Jesus is in the fire walking with them. Hey, boys, don't worry about a thing. Y'all are going to be all right. Y'all stood for me. I'm showing up for you. So I'm here to tell you, you're going to be okay. They're walking in. I mean, it's one thing to be in the fire. Like, let's go for a tour. What's this furnace look like in here? I mean, like, I just, sorry, I see humor in the Bible. I'm curious. Like, where are y'all going? How big is this furnace? I mean, I've got questions. I'm analytical too, so I'm just like, I mean, how big can this thing be? You know, they're walking around, right? It's just what's going on. You got to find humor in the Bible sometimes. So that's how my mind works. So there you go. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted to the young men, He says, Servants of the Most High God. All of a sudden, he's a believer. Because remember, a few verses ago, he said, what God is going to save you from my hand? Lowercase g. Here, he says, servants of the most high God, capital G. He's not just like saying, hey, your, your God is God. Believing your God is also now my God. Like, I'm a believer. Like, I didn't believe in your God until I watched you go through adversity. And in the test of the fire of watching you walk through it, now I see that, man, there's something really to this. It says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. I wish it told us how long they stayed in there, but it didn't. And so all these people, these advisors that were crowded around them, second part of verse 27 says, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head even singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. I don't know about you. I can get like remotely around a fire and I smell like fire. Much less being in the fire. And yet God had totally protected them. Much of the way that he did with Daniel. In the lion's den. Just totally kept them. When we make a stand for God, he will protect. He will keep us. Doesn't mean that trials and, and things won't come. But... Here's what we can see from this, though. Well, let me read. Let me make this statement, and then I'm going to read you these next couple of verses. I believe that when we stand firm, it inspires other people. Let me say it another more. When we have guts, other people will too. When I'll stand up, other people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I, I can do that? Absolutely. It inspires people. Verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise to the God 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. It says, therefore I decree. So he's a king. He can make, basically, he's like, I'm writing law. Forget Congress. We're going to get it done. Therefore I decree that the people of, of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut into pieces. Man has the pendulum swung. He said, I'm going to throw you in a fire. Now he says, if you don't believe in their God, you got to deal with me. He was a little inspired. He says, not only that, but their houses will be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. We have a God who responds. You see it throughout Scripture over and over and over again. The children in the wilderness of Israel in the wilderness. What? He showed up at night by what? A pillar of fire. He showed up in the day by a cloud that went over them. It was food, provision. Their shoes didn't wear out. God showed up for them. God shows up for Daniel. God shows up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God will show up for you just in the same way. When we stand, He will stand. See, many times I believe that we think that people will hate us for our stand. And in truth, many times they respect it, even if they can't get the guts to tell you. They may not care about your standard. They may not care about the standard of the Word of God. But they will respect you because you're willing to stand and not compromise. And not only that, I believe many people will be inspired by it. Some people will be resistant. Why? Because they're it's just human nature. They're not there yet. What do, you, what do you do with those people? You start praying for them. Amen. Lord, let me just be light. Let me just sow some seeds into their life. Yeah. You're working. I know I can't see it, but I ain't got to see it. That's right. That's right. I believe you're working. I don't know how, but I believe you are. Yeah. I'm just a part of the puzzle. I'm a, I'm a piece of their story. That you... <laughs> When they get saved, I'm like, hey, I was praying for you. That's awesome. Praise God. I've said this a couple times, but I, I really want you to... To just resonate in your heart, remember that we are standing for something, not just against something. We stand for God. We stand for what God wants to do in people's lives. But many times people don't know how to respond to God simply because no one's ever just put a friendly hand out there. No one's ever really loved selflessly. No one's ever just been kind and gracious to them. So we, we, but we can still stand firm and love well. We absolutely can. So how do we not get so consumed by culture? We keep our focus on God. Yes. It's easy to just, man, we're going to hell in a handbasket. This nation's on fire and going down like the, you know, hill, whatever that big balloon thing was. What's that thing called? Hindenburg. Hindenburg. I was close in my head. I knew it wasn't right though. Hindenburg. I mean, that's the way we feel like. That's a miracle. Like we're just going down a big ball of... Says who? Amen. Says who? I believe that if the church would use its voice, our nation can change in a moment. But we have to do it in the right way. Now there's lots of things, but I want to give you three areas. Three things, and very quickly as I wrap up. Three things that you can stand in. There's been a theme today, which is stand. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Don't, don't cower down. But three specific areas that you can stand for. <coughs> That I believe are God honoring. Number one is we can stand in prayer. Yes. Stand in prayer. Yes. 
Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says this. says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong. Stand up. Verse 13 of that same chapter says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You will be standing firm. Verse, the first part of verse 14 says, Stand your ground. Other translations say, Having done all to stand, just stand. Don't sit down. Just keep standing up. We can stand in prayer. We believe in prayer. I believe prayer is the most powerful weapon as a Christian that we have. That's why we give you opportunity every week to what? Come down here and get prayed for. Why? Because we believe prayer makes a difference. We believe God actually listens and responds when we ask him. God kind of likes us. and He's kind of attentive to us. I mean, he did send Jesus to the cross to die for us. So what's our prayer request in light of that? Hey, I dealt with your sickness. I dealt with your sin. I dealt with all this lostness. I, de- I dealt with all your shame. I, de- I dealt with all that. But ah, that little prayer request, that's just too much. You're asking for too much. That's just too much. <laughs> I'm tapped out. No, we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. But we have to be active in prayer. The second one, and I believe that this is one that the enemy really fights us in consistently and constantly, and this is as much in our own mind as anything, is you've got to stand for your purpose. Let me say it another way. You have to believe that you're actually here not by accident, but by the design of God. God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't like to say, oops, didn't mean to put you there, sorry. No, God... Is it work in our life? But the enemy wants to convince you God won't use you. I know what you did. You know what you did. Your past, all these things. Well, you know, that was true at one time, but your past said, oh, you're too old for that. That window's closed. No, stand for your purpose. No, I know what God's called me to do, dadgummit. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back off. I'm going to keep believing God to do everything that he said he would do in my life. I'm going to, man, I want to... By the time I stand before the Lord, I want to be able to say, man, I am wrung out like a towel. Like I gave everything I had. I know it wasn't perfect, but man, I tried really hard. Not from a legalistic works way. But God, man, I did way. I mean, really, my prayer is that when I stand before God, that I just am like, how did you do all of that with what I did? Because it sure didn't seem that significant. What I did really seemed very insignificant, but holy cow. See, I believe that'll be one of our greatest moments of worship when we stand before God in that moment. Because we'll see the actual impact of our life. Well, we got to stand firm and love well to do that. Don't let the enemy rob you of your purpose. The last one is we have to make a stand for God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 32, I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Stand up for me against um, world opinion. And I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. Stand up for me and I'll stand for you. Confess me and I'll confess you. Now that goes on to say, hey, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. It's not like a, woo, praise the Lord. But, but this is what I want you to catch though. And I said this a moment ago. When we stand up, God will stand for us. When those three Jewish boys stood up, Jesus showed up. Let me give you another example from the book of Acts. There's a young man named uh, Philip, who's the first recorded martyr for the gospel. I mean, technically, I suppose you could argue that Jesus was, but everybody credits him as being the first. Jesus, the Bible says, over and over and over throughout Scripture, is seated at the right hand of the Father. From the beginning of time, he's always been seated. 
Yet when they stoned Stephen, which you can go read that story. You want to talk about loving well. People throwing rocks at him. And he's like, Lord, forgive them. That's not me. I'm me throwing rocks back. But the Lord's still working on me. The Lord's still working on me. <laughs> Philip, though, prays and says, Lord, forgive them. And it says that he looks up. And it says that Jesus is standing on the banister of heaven. Standing. Looking over the... And he says, I see Jesus. I see my Savior. Jesus is always seated. When we're talking about in heaven. We, but yet, there are a few times that Jesus stands. There's a few times Jesus shows up. He showed up in the fiery furnace. He showed up for Philip. He'll show up for you. When you'll make a, a, just a decision. It's like, man, I'm not going to compromise. God's word is true. I don't have to understand everything about it, but it is my manual for living. And you, you can do whatever you want. It's my manual for living. And I believe that God works in my life through his word. And so when we stand, he stands. And I want to encourage you with that today. Don't allow culture to try to conform you. You got to be you. You got to be who God's created you to be. You can stand in prayer. Stand for that purpose that God has for you. But ultimately it comes back to the why. Why are you doing all that? Because I'm making a stand for God. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to see God show up. And I believe if you'll make that decision, God will show up for you. Amen.